Welcome, welcome, welcome to Real Job Talk. I'm Kat Troyer. I'm Liz Bronson. Hey, Liz. Hey, Kat. We've got a very special guest tonight. We have Andrew Miller. And Andrew Miller is a technologist, a blogger, and a speaker who is quite active in the cloud technology community. And I've known Andrew for years through John, our producer, and my husband in from the technical community. So we are super excited to have Andrew here tonight. Andrew, would you like to introduce yourselves to our guests? Sure. Thanks, Kat and Liz. I definitely appreciate the opportunity to be here. And uh, just, just speaking to a comment about you and John, there's some folks where when I see them, when I think of them, I can't, I can't help but smile. And, and the two of you are kind of in that category. Sorry, Liz, I haven't known you that long, right? But I'm sure it'll be more of the time. But, you know, it's, it's true. I'm not making that up. Well, thank you. Likewise. Been doing this for a little while. Uh, it makes me feel old when I say that. But I uh, started out with kind of seven years on the customer side, admin to engineer to architect, big enough shop that you had some decent toys to play with, everything from VMware to Cisco to security stuff, but not so big it was siloed, a little bit painful at the time, but you know, uh, learned a lot. Decided I didn't want to sell my technical soul entirely, so I jumped over into the pre-sales world where you wave your hands around and you draw stuff on the whiteboard and you make big promises, and hopefully they work out. And if they do, your customers like you. If not, it's a little painful. Uh, <laughs> and in, in those kind of roles for about eight years uh, through a couple different partners, um, value-added resellers, right? And uh, one from kind of SC to senior SC to, to manager to director. Took some time off. That's part of what we're going to talk about later, I think. And then landed at, at Rubrik for about two years, where it was the uh, first tech marketing hire. And hired about 12 folks and about two years as the company went from 200 to 1300, which was an awesome ride. Crazy, but awesome. That's, that's quite a lot of growth in two years. Yeah. It, was, it was hard to keep up with, but I, wouldn't, I, I have no regrets, right, as we'll talk about later. And then I uh, took a little bit more time off and I'm currently at Pure as a principal SD for the Southeast. So I'm an overlay at a uh, pre-sales technologist level, but also then it's kind of a conduit to product management and engineering and getting to dig in on cool products and technologies and spend time with customers like earlier this week doing some field EBCs in Nashville. Awesome. I feel like that's long enough. So for our non-technical listeners, an SE is a sales engineer, right? That's actually an interesting one because some pe- so there are some folks in this role who who kind of cringe when they hear sales engineer, but but you are technically part of a sales team in that role, mm-hmm. although, you, although you were not a sales rep. There's actually a great blog post by um by Joe Onisic called "The Art of Pre-Sales," where he goes through the definition of some of this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and it often takes people a little while to get used to that that concept, and it's, it's a fascinating role. But long answer to a short comment. Sorry. Absolutely, you're the you're the technical expert on the team that the customer relies on for the reliable information, as opposed to the sales stuff, right? Yes, and and That's... sales reps trade in uh, trust, like they're fundamentally, hopefully, not a used car salesman, and <laughs> and SEs trade more in credibility, like yes. we're the people that are there to know the things, and you need mm-hmm. to know the things, or else you'll just kind of look like a rep. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's where even like the phrase "I don't know" is fascinating. You say it too soon in a conversation, you don't know anything. You say it l- later in, you knew enough stuff, and now you're being trustworthy because you're not pretending to know everything. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, great. Great. Well, welcome. We are so excited to talk with you. And we're going to talk today about your job evaluation process and kind of your, you talked about a lot of your transitions, which is perfect because we want to talk about what was behind those transitions and kind of take our job advice, job seeker advice to the next level to walk through kind of how you've done it. And so we want our, to help our listeners go live with some of the things that they've heard us say over the last couple of months. So let's get right to it. So Andrew, why don't you walk us through what's happened when you've gotten ready to make a job change? What, what kind of process do you go through? So 
when I, sometimes when I look at this as I, I end up backing into a process, I think I put it that way. I don't pretend that it's so planned out at the time, but there's, there's a couple at least th- key things that come to mind. I've, I've tended historically to lean into opportunities to take jobs that have a little bit more risk, but also a little bit more reward, that kind of thing. That, that's been motivating and I've had the, the energy levels for it. And, and with that, you have to do good work and you have to care enough, but not so much that it eats you up, right? That is having that right combination, right? Being able to care, but, but to be able to self-preserve. So that's important. Especially in a, in a pre-sales role, you're, you're not going to win every at-bat, right? You know, the, the best batters have a 300, 350 batting average, give or take, right? Kind of thing. That's mm-hmm. a lot of misses. And, and take whatever sports analogy or other analogy you want in there. So so in, there have been times where it usually has come from either for me, I'm feeling, I was feeling that I was a little bit tapped out as far as career and advancement potential, or that just the role was getting to the point where uh, where there was enough, there were enough stressors that I, I was having trouble handling, handling them, just to be really candid. And, and for me, that's at least trying to, the only person that I can really have a chance at changing is myself. So first, not, not just jumping into it, never, never rage quitting or venting mm-hmm. on the job. That's just not productive at all. I remember the comment you made in an earlier podcast about being positive in these contexts. So, mm-hmm. so much yes to that kind of thing. But that doesn't mean you're not, there's not turbulence inside. And figuring out, you know, are there things I can change internally to adapt? Because that, that's what I can do. Mm-hmm. But if you get to a certain point, you need to recognize either it's either personal weakness or just this is how I'm wired or I can't change this fast. And I need to not let the job turn me into some a person that I don't want to be. Uh, this is that's another fancy way to say burnout, maybe. But I even mm-hmm. saw that. Um, I even saw that a couple of times. I'm going to leave some names and details out where there are people you're like, that, that's not who they are. Right. And how much stress they're under. And then you're kind of mm-hmm. like, is that me? That's not. Mm-hmm. We can only change our perspective so much. Mm-hmm. There are, you know, the other elements of the job, whether, you know, it's a good fit or, or if the job is set up right for you, th- those, those types of things are, are mm-hmm. just as important as perspective, I believe. Mm-hmm. There was one SC on my team that said something that stuck with me that he he knew he was it was getting to him too much if it affected his dinner conversations, which to me mm-hmm. was just a good shorthand mm-hmm. for, you know, if you can't set it aside to be with your kids, family, significant other, friends, whoever, and you're stuck in these mental loops or emotional spirals is the other term I think of. You know, that's mm-hmm. where that happens too much. It's you need to start thinking about making a change. And with that, even if there's the emotion disengaging until can you can think clearly about it back mm-hmm. to that never, never rage quitting. And then I think the last thought there is just making sure to have, have something. If you're looking at a change that you're running to, as well as running from, it's kind of a negative way to say it kind of, but we're all in any job, you get far enough in there's challenges, you know, that you're going to find them over time, but make sure that you're not just running away from something, but you're also running to something, whether that's the next job or what you mm-hmm. want to do. There's like positive motion pulling you along versus the, eh, I think I'd like to, get out of these certain scenarios and situations. I could not agree more. It's like we talk on here. I talk to candidates constantly about shiny object syndrome. That looks so great. Oh, it's so awesome because this, that, that, or the other thing. And it's like, but still has the same fundamental reasons that you're not happy in your current job. So it may be a nicer office, but that's not really going to solve the fundamental problem that you're not happy doing whatever Mm -hmm. you're doing anymore. So I think that taking that, moment to step back and say, what am I going towards and making sure that the job meets that is really what's critical when you're evaluating the opportunities. There's a, there's a great phrase about it's a, it's a twist on a normal cliche, but it's the, the grass is greener where you water it. 
So mm-hmm. cliche time, but I think there's like there's a good kernel in there, right? So true. No, it's it's very true. Um, so part of your journey has been taking a number of sabbaticals or time off. And you know, Kat and I have said when we've been asked, like, <laughs> do you quit your job before you have a job? We're like, no. That was the first <laughs> podcast. I remember that. <laughs> <It was. laughs> um, and I'm gonna stick by that with an asterisk that if you are the kind of person that can deal with the unknown and not get tied up and uncomfortable because the job search process is not something you can control necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so, but you've done it and done it successfully. And that I admire you because I couldn't do it because I'm a little too tightly wired. Um, But tell us, what have you done with those times off? How have you structured it? What have you used it for kind of walk us through it a little bit so for me it's it's and this is actually the perfect kind of segue off the running from but also running to i don't want to kind of dwell on there have been challenges in previous jobs i've chosen but none of these have been like where it's like i just had to get out so the the running to for me was really a mix of personal development of family time and and travel and just just slowing down enough to think Um, there's something about, at least for me, about getting out of the country. My wife is from Singapore and we have twin nine-year-old boys. You can find this stuff online. I'm I'm relatively open about that. And, and we all like each other. We like to spend time with each other and exploring, you know, that, that kind of thing. And so there, for me, at least the ability to pause enough to clear my head and, uh, just, just regain my wonder for the amazing world we live in and how blessed I am because, because I am, I am blessed. I never want to be like Pollyannish, you know, the 10% at full glass is like 90%, you know, whatever way you, you want to say that. But for me, it's been being able to take that time to pause. And the other piece in there, even, even the most recent one was I realized with my kids that I have one year when they're nine, I've got one year when they're 10, mm-hmm. one year when they're 11. I, I don't, those, each of those years, I don't get back. Right. Right. Uh, and being able to pause and take time off and travel and points and miles helped a lot. You know, just the end, it's, there's not like crazy independent riches here, yeah. um, mm-hmm. but that helps a lot. And just being able to uh, be able to pause as a family. The, the other things I've done is, um, it is definitely some kind of personal development. Um, I have a blog post I wrote the first time that has a list of books that I went through. I think the one that I, I probably highlight the most to people is What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Mm-hmm. So, which is even if you never read the book, the title's phenomenal. Like what got me yeah. here? Figuring that out and understanding it. Where do I want to go? Will it get me there? Do I need to set aside these strengths or just even fix things? Mm-hmm. And then the other one is uh, is Strengths Finder, and I'm I know you've mentioned that previously. The the concept of basically figuring out what you're good at and amplifying that, you'll get Absolutely. more value out of it than mm-hmm. only fixing the the deficits that you have from a skill or character perspective mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So when you're when you're on a sabbatical, you'll take time with the family and go on adventures and mm-hmm. and also focus on some career stuff like reading books. What mm-hmm. other kind of career things do you do on sabbaticals? Especially as I've gotten toward the end, I'll, I'll emphasize just catching up with people. And I'll, I'll do this all the time. And that's actually been one of the things that I've really enjoyed. I have a pretty large network. And when I say it that way, it sounds almost like fake. Like it's not a network. It's a group of people that I've worked with in the past mm-hmm. that I like to spend time with. And if I had more time to spend with them and catch up, life would be awesome. And that's one of the things that is pretty cool to do because you can keep up with people without having a hard agenda behind it. Just like, you know, you can reach out and catch up. And in that, can ask them as well for feedback. 
you know, if they mm-hmm. see opportunities, they're out there, but not not being desperate about it. Like, what things would they recommend for you? So I literally was looking before we got on. I, I had a post-sabbatical people to call list. <laughs> and it was like 40 people long. And I got through a lot of them. You can be free to have some of these conversations. As well as just mm-hmm. going back through LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in the last my last sabbatical, even took the opportunity to go to HashiConf. And I've been looking at some of this. It might be a free plug, but they have good products, right? So mm-hmm. some folks on my team at Rubrik put me onto them. Uh, Rebecca Fitzhugh, as well as Eric Wright at Turbonomic, introduced me to Terraform. It's like, I want to learn more about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stu was helpful enough to get me in touch with someone for a, a pass. Thanks, Amber. Stu Miniman, who yes. is um, one of the hosts of The Cube mm-hmm. and an analyst who is a good person to know. Nice guy. Mm-hmm. I put out a call on Twitter and uh, Stu and Justin Warren, make sure I give proper mm-hmm. props. They both responded and put me in touch with Amber. And uh, I needed one more flight to maintain airline status for the year. So it felt kind of stupid to go like to Houston and back in the same day. It's like, I'm going to go somewhere and do something, you know, kind of thing. So a mix of personal development. And But I think that the biggest thing is not just sitting back and saying, this is an extended vacation where I'm going to stare at the wall or, but but actually having something of a plan and structure and like I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to do these things these week and I'm going to talk to these people and I'm going to keep notes about it and kind of treating it like, not like the sabbatical is a job, but there's a purpose to it. It's not mm-hmm. just to chill out and sit back. It's to do some defined things for a defined amount of time and then re-engage with, with enough level of financial comfort that you're not desperate, but mm-hmm. you're, you're not planning on it forever. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, to rephrase it in real job talk terms, you're meeting with your board of advisors, <laughs> which mm-hmm. big fans of. And yes. as you said, you have a plan and you're putting together your must-have list for the next job through self-reflection, self-education, as well as board of advisor interactions. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you're start you're searching while not, you know applying online or whatever, but you are, you are the minute you re-engage with your work community after taking your break, you're starting your job search essentially, even though it's not formalized and therefore putting, putting out the, the word of I'm on the market and then allowing the process to come to you. And I, I think that that's ideal. Uh, to be able to do that. And I know, I mean, when my kids go to summer camp, that's w- <laughs> that's when I get to coffee because I'm a harried mess the other 11 months of the year. But I get my catch-up time during when they're away. And I think that it's a good use of time when you're when you have downtime, that's board of advisor time. How do you not stress out about the search process? Like, how do you not worry about, oh gosh, okay, paychecks coming when, uh, how do you do it? Uh, I'm cautious around this topic because depending on how I say it, sometimes people can take it the wrong way. And I try to make sure that it doesn't come out that way. There does have to be an underlying level of financial conservatism, just Mm -hmm. to be really, really blunt about it, right kind of thing. I've been very fortunate that my, over the last 10 years, you look at LinkedIn, you can figure out pay levels have increased Mm -hmm. and making sure your standards of living increase more slowly than your pay levels. Yep. Uh, because I mean, this is, and when you even, if you really want to break it down from the class app empty perspective, it's not just the money that's going out, it's the lost income during yes. that period, right? Yeah. So it's actually the money that's not coming in plus the money that's going out. That, that is the total financial impact. 
Mm-hmm. And for me, some of that was having the financial means to do it. And I'm, I'm super blessed that uh, my wife and I are on the same page on these things. With, from a spouse partner standpoint, you, you better be or else this won't work. I haven't even hit on the side of making sure that a significant other is comfortable with this mm-hmm. and their personality fitting it too. That's a huge, huge factor yep. kind of thing. But is, I'd also say that the more that your identity is wrapped around your job, the harder it is. Mm-hmm. And to me, that gets into a little bit of, um, this is going way back, but kind of the idea of being a whole person and not being so wrapped in any one thing that it can, that it can shatter you. We're, all, we're back as well to um, caring enough that you do a good job and you pour yourself into it, but not so much that it, that it kills you. And to me, that's actually not a bad barometer check because if not having a job freaks you out, that might be a sign that you too much of yourself is wrapped up in that, that, that may or may not be healthy. I'm not saying don't care about your job and do good work, right? Kind of thing. Um, the, the other piece in there is that if you've, if you've approached it with, and I've tried to do this over the years, not always, not always perfectly, but with just genuinely being interested in people, when you reach out to catch up, people respond to that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it is a lot of fun. And without any hard agenda, you still have to be intentional with your time. There's only so much time kind of thing. Right. Uh, but without this being intentional, without being manipulative is how I like to think of it sometimes. Like being upfront, hey, I'm calling because we need to talk about, I'm looking for such and such, but I actually really want to catch up with you for the first 20 minutes. Let's do that. And then talk about the reason that I thought about calling you. And, and that's totally fair because we're all busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to catch up. And, you know, I'm on sabbatical right now. I'm starting to think about the next thing. So we can talk about that. But I really want to hear what's going on with you. Mm-hmm. That's genuine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we talk a lot about making our must-have list uh, in before a job search process, and kind of back to what you're saying about the grass is always greener, or the the grass that's <laughs> that's watered is, is what you take care of. But I think I think a lot of people they find themselves taking the same job over and over again, and once the shiny newness or the the raise or whatever it was wears off, they find themselves back at square one, and so. You've done this really mindfully and done it well. And so I'd love to hear about the making of your must-have list. How do you go about it? And if we can not be too personal, what's on your list? And kind of walk us through how you've done that because that has to have been part of the sabbatical and switching process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it usually, it kind of evolves slowly. I, I first start with what I call, there's some gating factors, if you will, mm-hmm. or you could call them non-negotiables that you don't, mm-hmm. you want to make sure to, to figure out very quickly. For me, those are relocation. I, I live in, I live in Greenville, South Carolina. You can find this on LinkedIn. I love where I live for various reasons, family and an awesome place to live, not willing to relocate. Travel, travel percentage is, is one of those as well. That's just, a, if it's too high, it's just not going to be possible. Um, as, as well as even just base pay levels, understanding where, how far you're willing to go down or how far you're hoping to go up kind of thing. And, and that's even one, I'm sure we'll hit on this later. You can even ask me about that during the first discussion. But beyond mm-hmm. that, I would say for me, it's been more of finding companies or places where there seem to be fundamentally good folks to work with because that's so much of like the day-to-day stuff paired up with technology that I can believe in enough. Mm-hmm. And if I say that the wrong way, it sounds like I'm a technical sellout, like I lost my technical soul kind of thing. Yeah. But y- you do this long enough and you see different companies, they leapfrog each other, one advances, the other advances, a new startup comes in that doesn't have the technical debt and they push forward. So there's, there's a level of some companies that I just haven't been interested in, um, but but there's a good number out there that I'm, that I'm pretty comfortable with. And then the, the other piece that's um, 
And this may be a little bit of an odd one, but is in which companies do I know the most people that I respect and appreciate, even if I wouldn't be working with them directly, both mm-hmm. as a barometer of the company. And mm-hmm. once I get in, especially I've been a kind of a self-directed role, that's an instant network to be able to reach out to, not abuse, but reach out to like, I can't figure this thing out or that thing out. You don't always want to be calling your boss or your mentor about every single thing. You can, you can spread that out. As well as, frankly, those people will give you more of an inside feel of what things are really like, and you're not flying as blind as you go in. I think that's great advice to, you know, if if there are folks at a company that you're interested in, people that you respect, by all means, check in with them and, you know, get information about the, about the company, about the job, right? Mm-hmm. The information that's not on the job description, which is important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I learned a little tip. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but... If you reach out and they're silent, it may mean that they don't want to say something negative about their company. But usually if someone's super happy and they know you and like you, and you've got to be pretty sure that they like you, but and they don't respond, their silence actually means something. I've ignored that silence before and then learned from it when... Uh, mm-hmm. After the fact. So I think, but I think that that, I mean, call the people you know that are at the company. What's it really like to work there? They're not salesmen, mm-hmm. they're saleswomen. They're not salespeople. And, okay. and hopefully they're your friends first and employees yeah. second. Not that they're going to badmouth, but they'll, they'll tell you. It's also fascinating sometimes to realize the silence, what that means at a company feedback level. Mm-hmm. And also it's just sometimes an interesting check on if a relationship that you thought was more of a personal friendship beyond work is actually a transactional relationship or that's mm-hmm. how that person person is and you didn't recognize that. I don't, I don't even have a, a fault for folks that are more transactional, but you can't know that until you've moved on from a company and you reach back out, you know, that, that kind of thing. So you've got your ideal job list. You're pretty clear on the parameters that you're, that you're looking for in this next opportunity. How do you evaluate opportunities from a job description or a company perspective against your list? So I, at least for me, it, it's more of kind of this interactive mental process. I feel like I almost don't have a, a solid enough scripted answer here because I was trying to put myself in the shoes of people listening and like, how, how can they use this, if you will? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I usually end up keeping a decent amount of stuff in my head. So that's always kind of cycling, cycling through my head. Mm-hmm. I'll usually, I'm looking at my whiteboard over here on my left. Usually I've written stuff up over time about like the key companies and comments and thoughts. I'm staring back at that as I'm, as I'm talking. The other piece there is that Sometimes it's not even a job description because especially by reaching out, and I remember this, I think it was on the first podcast of submitting too many resumes. For the most part, the opportunities that I've come across in this last round, there were multiple out there. Uh, The round before was actually more than that. These are usually not jobs that are posted and there's not a full job description. It's more based on people understanding your background and what you've been and you're worth spending some time with. And it's like, well, maybe you could do these things here. And so the job description evaluation is almost more of this interactive conversation as you get to the right people than mm-hmm. I'm reading it on the website and kind of thinking about the bullet points. And to add on to that, especially when it's smaller companies, it's often smaller companies are looking for talent. And so, you know, I write really broad job descriptions because <laughs> they're market, I see them as a marketing tool. And yes. I also, if I talk to someone who'd be great for the company and has a slightly different skill set than maybe we were initially looking at, 
we can adjust the job for the person to make sure that they get what they need and we get what we need. When there's a lot of work to go around, you can be a lot more flexible. So job descriptions are just the tip of the iceberg. But when you know people and you're networking, that's when you can find out what's coming up. Oh, well, we don't have anything for you right now, but we are hiring three more SCs in your location in Q3. Well, Q3 is a month away. So why don't we start talking now so you can get mm-hmm. get me in the door then? So those jobs are never posted early. Mm-hmm. I seem to remember you even, Liz, saying something about this this guy named John Troyer who didn't fit the job description, <laughs> but, but somehow you made it work or he made it work. So... <laughs> Don't know how I pulled that one off. But uh, yeah, I mean, you, when you find talent and you're at a small company, that was when VMware was less than a thousand people. And I could say, this person's great. I don't know what we're going to have them do, but we should get them on board. They're talented. When companies get bigger, they aren't able to do that in the same way as much, mm-hmm. which is why I like small companies. Uh, so what questions, Andrew, do you ask in the interview process as part of your assessment of the role? It sounds like you do a lot of back channel with people who are working there versus who are involved in the interview process. But what do you ask in the interview process that really helps you evaluate the particular role? So so one thing that's interesting, especially when you're interviewing and you're coming out of sabbatical and you're you're not hopefully desperate, is it does actually change the dynamics a little bit during the interview. And, and often mm-hmm. hiring managers aren't aren't used to that. And you always want to be respectful of that and always be prompt and responsive, but but recognizing that the dynamic is a little bit different. So the first thing I think of is is it someone who, who is in interview mode or is it more of a conversation? Because to me mm-hmm. that more goes to hopefully working with them. But part of that is my preference, and this is now going back to having hired a lot of folks in the past, which helps from being on that side of the table too. Sure is a, a preference for video being on. Um, I can sound one way. If you're listening to this podcast, I may sound one way. And the way that you visualize me and my receding hairline in your head may be totally different than the way I look in person, right? You know, just, just that kind of stuff. So it's a higher bandwidth connection. Mm-hmm. The, the sometimes specific questions that I'll ask are, hopefully in a good interview, you'll have some time at the end to ask questions. Mm-hmm. If they don't give you that time, that's definitely a, an indication. It Absolutely. can read into that. Mm-hmm. If they do, um, some normal ones that I'll ask, what does success look like in 30, 60, 90 days? How well is it baked out or not? It's not even there's a right or wrong answer. I want to know how fleshed out it is. Yeah, have they given thought so, to what that looks like, right? If, if a company hasn't, that's a flag, I think. What does success mm-hmm. look like? Like, Or, mm-hmm. or if, if I do this, what should I have accomplished in that time? Mm-hmm. Or even sometimes, and, and this was even taking the job at Rubrik, I mean, I was the first technical marketing hire. So there was some definition of that. But part of the attraction was that I was needed to figure some of that out and map it out. So it wasn't, mm-hmm. wasn't a problem. It wasn't bad. The other thing that I'll always ask is toward the end, do you have any concerns or red flags mm-hmm. as a, just because it's, especially if video isn't on, but even with it on, you never know if you've hit, you've hit a hot button item, you've misstepped on something. Maybe you went and talked too long. Uh, side note, always talking in two to three minute sound bites and pausing to see if someone wants to hear more. I've, I can't tell you the number of times that I've interviewed folks and I, as the interviewer, have been good with an answer and they keep going for 10 minutes Mm -hmm. and they're almost selling against themselves at that point. Because what I was trying to check from that answer was just fine. Mm -hmm. And I actually want to go to another topic and I'm almost getting a little bit annoyed that they didn't pause and let me jump in Mm -hmm. without being a jerk Mm -hmm. interrupting. That's some really good advice there. But mm-hmm. concerns of red flags is just mm-hmm. making sure that almost it's, in, in sales terms, it's almost a presumptive close, if I can use that term. Mm-hmm. But it is meant to to pull out, is there anything that they're 
they're not comfortable saying. Mm-hmm. And also like you almost get this real-time feedback about like, how did you do in the job interview? And it removes a little bit of the stress from the process of not knowing, mm-hmm. especially if they're slower on next steps, which can happen for lots of reasons as I've heard you talk about previously. But I think I hate that question as a recruiter because as the gatekeeper, uh-huh. and I'm so I had an interview this week where the person couldn't have answered a direct question to save their lives. And I'm sitting here being like, this is not working out. <laughs> and if I, they had asked me that at the end, my head would have been like, I, yeah, I've got a lot of concerns. You're a host. But I don't know that I would have said that in the interview because. Ultimately, that feedback could be very helpful to them, mm-hmm. but would probably put them on the defensive and made a bit of a mess for me at the end of the conversation. So sometimes I'll say something. I understand liability, culpability. Mm-hmm. There is. So I, I had someone this week ask me that, though, and I said, well, you haven't been in our domain. And so that may be a concern for them. But let's see. Mm-hmm. And I meant it. I think this person's great, and but they don't have the domain. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when it's more of a soft skill issue or more of a feeling of like, this person doesn't seem like they work well with others, we need to test that or whatever, I don't give that feedback, well, it, it, even if asked. And to give an example of one time where this worked out well, it was in the most recent job interview process. I asked this and someone said, hey, you know, this is an individual contributor role. And, and uh, we don't have any plans for it to be a management role. You've, ma- you've had teams, you've managed people for the last five or six years. Will you be comfortable with that? Yeah. I, I would have loved if that had been asked earlier in the interview process, mm-hmm. but I was able to address it without it kind of lingering out there as things. So I, I can totally get the challenge of being on the other side of that because I was like maybe 100 interviews in the last couple of years mm-hmm. with people where you've got to dance around that. But, but I like to at least always ask it to have a shot at teasing some of that stuff out if, if, I'm, if I'm interviewing. Well, if you know you're not a fit, better find out earlier than later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that saves everyone's time. You know, mm-hmm. that's good. So, Andrew, let's talk about when you've, you know, you've made several career changes throughout your career. Um, you maybe want to share with us how you've gone about that and what you did to kind of move the needle there? Mm-hmm. So, the, there's a couple concepts there for me. The, the, the first is thinking about uh, technical adjacency. I don't, I don't think that's unique to me, but I don't hear it too often. But mm-hmm. basically, what skills do I have that overlap into different roles? But because I need to bring enough existing skill to whatever job to answer the, why am I worth the paycheck question? Like, why are we, why are we paying you? But usually, I, I want to be doing something that's stretching me mm-hmm. and pulling me into new areas at the same time. So, you know, for instance, with Rubrik, it was that I hadn't done technical marketing before, but I could write could speak, had had management background, could build a team. There wasn't anyone quite with the right right specific background needed at the time. There were some similar corollaries to the, the principal SC role that I'm in, in Pure now. For me, there's also been, and we mentioned this earlier, of making sure that it's something that I, I, I believe in enough from a company and product standpoint. Mm-hmm. When I was at Vero, we were in the Carolinas as a partner, and we were the largest EMC partner. We had phenomenal implementation engineers. And I could believe in that. Like I knew mm-hmm. that we delivered good stuff for our customers that provided solutions and outcomes for it. And that was even a separate thing from the, the products that we actually used. It was the overall experience and, and packaging. And then I think the other one is just something that will, will stretch me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's maybe a little bit of uh, maybe it is grass is greener, Liz, or just like, you know, like, man, I want to keep pushing and changing. I think we all have 
as humans, we have certain length professional attention, career attention spans, if you will. Um, and, and like in the example of Rubric, that was the most risky of the options that I had. It was furthest from what I'd done before. But I almost felt like if I didn't go for it, I'd regret it forever not taking a run at it kind of thing. Well, that's a good indicator, right? And if you get that feeling that if I overlook this opportunity, I'm going to regret it, that's that's a good signal, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, and also you're taking your applicable skills from your current role and applying them to your next role. So you're not going full 180. I mean, like mm-hmm. I've had a lot of interesting conversations this week. I had someone this week t- say, I said, why do you think this is a good fit? And they're like, well, I really want to learn this new area. I don't know any of it now. And I'm curious about it. I'm like, well, but you know nothing that we need you to know. Bingo. And so it's going to take you nine, 12 months to mm-hmm. ramp. You're nice, but... That's a steep learning curve for a startup. You got nothing I need. Yeah. Whereas if they had had half of the things, mm-hmm. then that would have helped me get over the other half versus mm-hmm. zero. But you've done some technical stuff in the past. So I think that when you can show what you can apply and use that to make up for maybe what you will need to be learning, that mm-hmm. really helps you make that change. But making a complete 180, especially at a new company, is quite difficult. And that that takes a real degree of self awareness at a personal at a, at a technical level skill. Well, actually, I should say it takes uh, awareness at a soft skill and hard skill level. Like, what stuff am I good at? Like, like truly good at relative to peers, without without being arrogant and a jerk about it. But where am I good? And then the soft skill side is, uh, for me, that's been like none of these are perfect, right? But understanding Myers Briggs and where you fall in that, like, how do you recharge? Where do you get energy from? For me, like, I'm a plus five on the E side, so I enjoy being oh, with wow. presenting. But after a while, and this was like two nights ago. I was with people all day. I was totally happy to go to dinner by myself. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't have been like awful if a coworker wanted to go to dinner, but I was like, I'm, I'm good on my own, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then as well, going back to the strengths finder, not to plug that because I don't think I'll get an Amazon commission out of it, but <laughs> that goes through and, and calls out characteristics. None of these are perfect, but they're good building blocks to think about. Mm-hmm. They really are. So you've gone through the process, you've figured out what you want, you're interested. Let's talk a little bit about that end game, the offer process. Um, how have you negotiated for yourself, especially from the sabbatical standpoint when they know they're, you know, right now I'm at zero, so you're giving me a raise. How have you negotiated and gotten really, because you've said, you know, over time, you're, you've done really well for yourself in negotiating. How have you done it? So I'm, I'm cautious about saying, saying really well, just I, I don't want to go go. I don't want to sound arrogant about it, but I'm, I'm happy with how yeah. it's worked out. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, there's there's a couple of thoughts. The first is that making sure in the first interview, in a pretty low key way, just asking to at least talk about pay ranges, and, and sometimes being a little bit um, upfront about that. There's the whole who goes first kind of thing there, but just at least to make sure that you're not wasting each other's time. I would do this when I was interviewing people at the mm-hmm. end of the first interview just to make sure that we were enough of a fit to keep going. I would only ask that question if the previous part of the interview had gone well when I was interviewing, but, mm-hmm. but that's kind of the first part. We, we, we support that completely. We, we always want to have that conversation up front because it's about honoring your time, right? Mm-hmm. If that's not going to work, let's not continue. That's literally how I say it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Tell me what you want so I can see if I can get it for you. Mm-hmm. Because but if I, I can't, to... let's stop. Mm-hmm. 
I usually talk more in ranges there. Although, you know, mm-hmm. of course there's, you know, if you say the upper, the lower, then people always jump to that mentally, depending on the personality kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's stuff with Indeed and various websites online that you can, you can find. I, I have found that in general, salary ranges can be dramatically different. Yep. What I'm saying is speaking as a hiring manager for the last five or six years, mm-hmm. it can, those aren't bad data points, but there's no guarantee they're going to be reliable. Talking with folks inside the organization that you have a very high level of trust with, it's got to be pretty high to talk some level of pay and compensation, mm-hmm. right, kind of mm-hmm. thing, or with peers in the industry that are at different companies and different in, in related jobs. To, to address the whole, hey, I'm, I have zero income coming in right now, for me, it's been more of just being candid about here's where I've been in the past. I usually mm-hmm. haven't beat around the bush too much about that, either just here was a W-2, here was the pay and pay structure. But it's been helpful because both times that I've done this, I've tried to be upfront with people that I'm talking to multiple companies. Mm -hmm. And there's some serious project management and juggling in multiple interview processes at the same time. Mm -hmm. But then being able to say, it it starts to shift the the power shift a little bit, never being arrogant, but that, you know, I am looking at multiple opportunities and all of them are at least in this category and it keeps people from lowballing you. And, And the goal is just to establish that you're, that you're serious about this and to cut, let's not mess around, please, as a t- together, if you will, but without yep. conveying that without being a jerk. I think that's such great advice. And I do think I'm talking to multiple opportunities. This is what I've been saying. This is what I'm expecting. And if let's say you already have another offer, I have an offer X. Mm-hmm. That's my minimum or whatever it is. The more transparent you are, the more they can fight for you or tell you it won't work out versus the give me your best offer. Mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. even get me started on those people. Mm-hmm. And when you have multiple offers or you're in in that process and you want, you know, company number three to catch up, <laughs> you say, I've got another offer and I want to get back to them in a week. I want to respect mm-hmm. them. If they want you, things go quickly. And I've yes, I, I've definitely I've definitely seen that at a personal level. And even the timing and the cadence is a phenomenal indicator about the level of interest in reality. This, to me, this is going back to being intentional without being manipulative. Like, mm-hmm. here's where I am with other people in the process. If you're far enough along, be bother saying that kind of thing, and just being upfront about where it is, so they can they can have the conscious choice. And maybe you're slowing some other things down in the background because you're more interested in a certain opportunity, or at minimum. And this wasn't this time, but it was it was previously. I at least wanted to see how something played out mm-hmm. before I committed on another one. Fair enough. I mean, you want to explore the opportunities that are in front of you. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with asking a company if a company gives you an offer that you're, you know, that you're, that you're sincerely interested in, yet there may be another opportunity or two that you're also sincerely interested in. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I'm excited about this offer. Thank you. May mm-hmm. I please have a week? Because I'm in process with two other companies and I am super, you know, again, I'm excited about this opportunity, but I want to make sure that I've explored my options. Yep. If a company doesn't give you a week, that's a red flag for me. Bingo. I, there's, there's other things going on in, yeah. within that company if they cannot give you a week. Mm-hmm. Especially when they know you've been looking because you've been on sabbatical or you've left your last role. Let me finish the process and, and you know, fight for me a little bit. But... Mm-hmm. If they won't let you finish and they say, no, 24 hours, well, mm-hmm. that's such a humongous indicator of their culture. I don't care how many happy hours they have on Fridays. The 24-hour or you're done is the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but those are flags that you want to look at, definitely. I mean, if someone says that, you 
there, there's other stuff going on there and you want to be aware of that. So Andrew, you know, you've navigated a very successful career. Looking back on, on some of these moves that you've made, do you have any, you know, hindsight learnings that you could share with our audience that might help them in their search process? Sure. So I think the uh, the first one is maybe just a, a humorous one. It, it has definitely been interesting to be able to do job searches without kind of skulking around in the shadows, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it's almost sometimes right. nice because it's, there's this interesting pressure of if you're having to navigate an existing job with finding a new one. And the, I mean, the extreme is like taking phone calls in the bathroom, right? Hopefully not, because that never works out <laughs> well, depending on who else walks in while you're on the phone, right? Because no one ever does that, you know, never. And but. you don't want to drop the phone either. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. But that, that you can have this kind of open, more open conversation with people and that you can cast a much, much wider net. And, and in my case, I've met some folks and stayed in touch with them that I, I don't think I ever would have met otherwise. And I'm even working with some of them now in some pre- well, this role and some previous roles. So it's, a, it's an awesome way to expand your network in a way that you might not have done otherwise. Mm-hmm. That only happens if you have a strong network in, I, th- I think, a genuine way. Like you take genuine interest in people and you're not just looking at people transactionally and what can they do for me in this month of my career kind of thing. So there has to be some initial down payments into a, you know, kind of a personal relationship bank account. Mm-hmm. Of course, when you're leaving, never, never, ever burning bridges as much as possible. Recognizing that when you leave, some people may take it personally. Mm-hmm. Past a certain point, you can't do anything about that. Understanding what that point is to say where it's okay. They take it personally and I have no hard feelings, but I, I can't change that about about them, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think finally, just the the benefit of being able to stop and think consciously from a career perspective. I don't want to say that you have to take time off to do that, mm-hmm. uh, but but I feel like it's it's been very valuable, and also just I mean I can I can spend retirement money in ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty years, whatever that is. I don't know, but it, it's a lot of fun to just be able to spend more time with family in a very different context, and I, I feel super blessed and fortunate to be able to take take advantage of that. That's awesome. I think that's you know I think your kids are going to have those memories too, right? Which which are fabulous. We've got a lot of pictures on the Apple TV. It's a it's a huge slide album that rotates through of like previous big trips because it was a it was the first time was eight countries in eleven weeks. This last oh time my. was a little shorter, but it was still a lot of fun. So awesome. So Andrew, where can we find you? How how do people follow you? Read your blogs. Learn about your journey. Uh, I am on Twitter and LinkedIn as Andriven, kind of like it sounds, and D-R-I-V-E-N. Uh, you will see me posting a good bit about Pure because that's a focus. And I like the stuff that I do there. Right? We haven't talked much about that, but I, I do enjoy what I'm doing there. And that's what you'll see. And you can find me uh, from a blog standpoint at thinkmeta.net, about meta, like layers of abstraction, okay. metaphysics, if you will. Great. We will make sure that we've got those those links on our show page too, just so it'll be easy for folks to find you. But thank you so much, Andrew, for coming coming and joining us tonight and sharing a little bit of your journey with us. We really appreciate it. Happy to. A lot of fun. Thanks. Yes, thank you. Awesome. Well, until next time. Until next time. This is Real Job Talk, a podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler. Our website with all Real Job Talk related information is realjobtalk.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us your questions, topics you'd like to talk about, and real job talk stories. And you may find them featured on a future episode. Use the website or email us at realjobtalk at gmail.com.
You can follow us on Twitter at Real Job Talk. And on Instagram and Facebook at Real Job Talk Show. My name is Kat Troyer. You can find me on Twitter at Daily Cat, And on LinkedIn, you can find me via Kathleen Nelson Troyer. And I'm Liz Bronson. On Twitter, I'm at Liz Beaks and Salt. And on LinkedIn, I'm Liz Bronson. Real Job Talk is a Tech Reckoning production. Our producer is John Mark Troyer. Our graphic artists are Lexi and Zachary Bronson. And we're here by the water cooler waiting to talk with you.